Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. It is a Tuesday here on the Fantasy Football Podcast, and that, of course, means Beat Writer Day. We're going to check in with three of our beat writers and get the uh, -the on-the-ground knowledge about their teams and take that and spin it into a fantasy lens. I am Michael Beller, your host on these Tuesday episodes of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. First beat writer up with us today is Connor Hughes. Connor, our New York Jets beat writer at The Athletic. Connor, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. No problem, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is, you know, for a for a team that only has a, a couple of wins, it's actually got some interesting fantasy developments going on at the moment. So uh, let, let's get into it. Let's first just get into it at the quarterback position. Mike White's been a fun story for a couple of weeks here. Obviously, the uh, wheels came off that bus against the Bills in Week 10. What can you tell us about uh, Zach Wilson and when we're going to see him back on the field? Uh, I think the hope and and the belief is that you're going to see him back probably as early as as this week against the Miami Dolphins. Um, I think there was probably an outside chance that he could have played against the Buffalo Bills if he was a veteran, if he was a proven player, if this was Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes or Matt Stafford or any of these other guys that are bona fide, no doubt, franchise quarterbacks. But uh, he was somebody, obviously, that's a rookie. He's still learning. He's still developing. He's still growing. And then the other thing to take into consideration, obviously, there was was that Mike White was playing some really good football. So, you know, Robert Sala said he wanted to work it out organically. He said he had an obligation to let Mike White continue to play as long as he was playing really well. So they threw him out there against the Bills. And, and obviously, you saw what happened there with like a 33 quarterback rating and four interceptions. So... Uh, with with this one now, uh, as long as there is not a major setback this week, I'd expect uh, undoubtedly so that that uh, Zach Wilson's going to be the Jets quarterback against the uh, the Miami Dolphins there. And it's a good thing. I mean, he brings some more talent arm wise uh, and, and he's obviously the player the Jets believe is the franchise quarterback so they can move forward with with trying to develop him. What, what would be considered a successful second half of the season for Zach Wilson? Obviously, we're not thinking this team's going to just win out and go 10-7 and seven and make the playoffs, anything like that. Yeah. But uh, if you, if you, uh, you know, at New Year's Day, the week after New Year's Day, you look back and say, you know what, that was a really nice second half from Zach Wilson. What would have happened between now and then? Honestly, I would say just look at the final month of Sam Darnold's rookie year, you know, when, when he was here. You know, he, was, uh, uh, he didn't win that many games. I think he only won one game during that stretch. Uh, but he avoided the turnover only through one interception. He had the Jets competing in in games against the Texans, in games against the Vikings, in games against the Packers. Uh, he showed signs and flashes pretty much weekly, despite the fact he wasn't necessarily surrounded with all that much talent, that he had the potential to be a franchise quarterback. And the Jets went into that offseason really hell-bent in their conviction that he was their guy. I mean, I remember talking to, to Dowell Loggins at the NFL Combine because after that season was when the Jets had moved on from Todd Bowles and Jeremy Bates, and they brought in Adam Gase and Dowell Loggins. And I saw Dowell at the Combine, and he said, you know, one of the reasons he and Adam Gase were so excited to have uh, to, to, to get this job and, and to take over as, as the Jets – uh, pretty much offensive gurus, if you will, and obviously it didn't turn out too well, but uh, was because they got to, quote, Coach Sam effing Darnold, unquote. <laughs> you know, is is that that's that's how Sam wasn't just viewed internally by the Jets, but also by people outside who were taking the job to come and work with him. Mm-hmm. So obviously the Jets are not going to have any coaching changes. Mike LaFleur is going to be back here next year. Sal is going to be back here next year. Douglas is going to be back here next year. But if Wilson can do some of the similar things that Sam did the final month of his year. I think it'll add a lot of optimism heading into next year for New York, where they got another ton of draft picks and a ton of cap space. All right, looking at this team purely from a fantasy perspective over the last couple of weeks, one of the biggest things we've seen is the emergence of Elijah Moore. A couple of nice yardage games in a row back in week eight, six grabs for 67 yards. Week nine, he went for seven and 84. Last week, 
for most of the offense, it was a bit of a downturn. Did get a garbage time touchdown, which salvaged his day from a fantasy perspective. But more importantly, we're just looking back at the last month. Six targets or more in four straight games. He's now had six targets or more in six games on the season. Is this something that holds in the second half of the year? We were really excited about him coming into the year. It was slow going, but now that he is this sort of six, six and a half target per game guy over the last month or so, is that something we can bank on being there for him the remainder of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think what kind of has led to some of his struggles early in the year and, and even still somewhat here today is that he's just playing a little bit out of position. I mean, this is a guy that, that is best suited to play in the slot, but the Jets don't have the luxury of playing him in the slot because they have Jamison Crowder. And Jamison Crowder has no ability to play outside. And while Elijah Moore isn't as effective outside, he can still be serviceable outside. So the Jets are trying to get their best players on the field at the same time. That means Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, uh, and Jamison Crowder. And then they also like to work Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims into the mix as well. So uh, this is a rotation. I think some of those numbers that you saw from at least the last two, uh, two of the last three weeks uh, with Elijah were probably because of the fact that Corey Davis wasn't in the lineup and Corey Davis was out. He's a guy that when Zach Wilson is now back in the lineup, Zach has a tendency to stare him down a lot. And that's probably one of his, um, one of the things that he needs to to rectify pretty quickly here because that got him in trouble during those first six starts he made because he had tunnel vision for Corey Davis and he would lock on a Davis and he would wait for Davis and he would wait for Davis. And if Davis got open, he would throw it to him. If Davis didn't get open, he would take a sack or he'd throw it anyway and get intercepted. So I'm curious to see if, that continues when Zach gets back into the lineup or if you'll be, have more of a uh, tendency to diversify the football and and hand and throw it to other guys and keep getting those targets to Elijah Moore, keep getting the targets to Keelan Cole, who's also come on as of late, trying to keep continue to keep the running backs uh, active in the passing game as well because the Jets have had some success with that over the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. as well. So um, it's still a little early to tell, and the reason for that is because a lot of Elijah Moore's emergence came without Zach Wilson under center, and now Zach Wilson's back under center. So we're going to have to see on that one. But I don't think there's any denying that Moore is the Jets' most talented receiver from a physical standpoint. They just weren't able to get him the ball with Zach Wilson in there early on, so we got to see if they're going to be able to do it now uh, to, to the second half of the year. Yeah, let's talk about those backs for a second. I actually want to discuss both of them. Let's start off with Michael Carter. Another thing that we've seen over the last month or so, right, is a, a little bit more of an emergence for him. And he's been technically the starter for the balance of the season. But mm-hmm. we've been seeing those opportunities, carries plus targets, really start to rack up for him over the last month or so. At least 11 carries in each of his last four games, 13 or at least 11 and five of the last six. And the one that he came short, you know, I'm sort of arbitrary endpointing this, but it was 10 carries, just to drive home just how much more of Michael Carter we've seen. We've seen six targets last week, 14 targets in that ridiculous game against the Bengals, nine targets the week before that. He's been involved in the passing game as well. Again, similar sort of question that we had for Elijah Moore. This role that we've seen for Michael Carter over, over the last month or so, something we can bank on being there for him for the rest of the season? Yeah, you know, whenever I play fantasy football, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not big into drafting Jets. Um, not just because the Jets are a very bad football team, but because like when you cover them, you kind of get an inflated opinion sure. of these guys, especially coming out of the regular seat or coming out of training camp, because you see guys tear up the Jets defense. And you're like, wow, they're going to be huge, but then you realize, no, they're just tearing up the Jets defense. They're not actually all that good, you know. So it's it's very hard, in my opinion, to get an accurate assessment. Of these guys, but one of the players that I did claim up on the waiver wire pretty early on was actually my Carter, and I stashed him on my on my bench, and it was just a matter of, you know, in a keeper league, maybe he's a guy that I want to keep. If it's not, then it's just a matter of I thought that this rotation would eventually work itself out because Tevin Coleman wasn't as good as I thought he was going to be. Neither was Ty Johnson, who had a very good training camp and a very good preseason. He just has struggled immensely in pass protection. You can tell that when you, know, you struggle in pass protection, it's tough for coaches to trust you in third down opportunities. So I thought, you know, Carter was going to end up getting some more touches. And, you know, as you said, these last couple of weeks, he's been good. You know, full point PPR, half point PPR with, with check down Mike White. He's been money to just because of the fact the sheer number of receptions that he's been having. Now, I will say that this is falls very similar in the boat to, to the same one as Elijah Moore. And, and what I mean by that is that Elijah Moore has in, uh, enjoyed this resurgence and enjoyed this breakout with Mike White under center. He's not enjoyed it with Zach Wilson under center. And when Zach Wilson was under center, Elijah Moore wasn't all that effective. When Zach Wilson was under center, Mike Carter wasn't all that effective. And part of that had to do with the fact the Jets were still really going to Ty Johnson and still really going to Tevin Coleman and still using that full running back by committee. 
But he also, Zach Wilson, was not the checkdown guy. He was the one that the Jets had to plead and beg to play, quote, boring, unquote, football. And he just didn't do it. You know, he played hero ball in high school, played hero ball at BYU. And with the Jets, he tried to play hero ball again, which meant running around, scrambling around, not taking your check down, but basically trying to, to turn into Russell Wilson and then chuck it deep and hope to make a big play. And, and when you're doing those things, obviously you're going to end up getting sacked. Obviously you're going to end up getting hit. Obviously you're going to end up uh, turning the ball over and, and things like that. But it also means you're not getting the ball to your running back. So theoretically, yeah, what you've seen from Mike Carter and the effectiveness from the Jets offense two of the last three weeks should lead you to believe that, that Mike Carter is going to continue to be a factor for fantasy and a factor for the Jets, if not for on the ground where he's only averaging like 3.5 or 3.6 a carry, just for the fact that he's going to catch you six or seven passes a game. But he did all that with somebody other than Zach Wilson throwing him the football. So before kind of going, you know, jumping full force into the deep end and, and saying, let's go, uh, you kind of want to see what, what Mike Carter does this week against the Dolphins and, and next week against the Texans with Zach Wilson at quarterback. Do we have to have the same concerns then for Ty Johnson? Obviously, Ty Johnson doesn't have the same full application in the fantasy world, doesn't have that same appeal in non-PPR leagues, but in full and even half PPR leagues, what he's been doing over the last few weeks has definitely caught people's eye. Been sort of a, you know, James White a couple of years ago impression or J.D. McKissick last year. That's just sort of been the type of player that Ty Johnson is. And if he's going to get six targets a game and catch five of those for 40 yards and pop a touchdown every other week, he's going to be a useful guy in PPR leagues. Is that there for him? Or again, is it a similar question where, you know, Mike White made that happen and maybe Zach Wilson doesn't? Honestly, dude, like I'll, I'll go back to this. I mean, the Jets are a really bad football team, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to find Jets in general that you should have on yep. your fantasy team. Yep. Like it really is. So when you're now talking about like the backup running back or the number two running back who's already sharing carries as a viable fantasy option. I mean, if you're looking that deep into the well, I don't think that your uh, your, your your fantasy season's going all that well for you. So yeah, I mean, you're, you're running the chance that he could pop off, that he could catch a touchdown, he could run in for a touchdown. I mean, the Jets have used him in goal line before. I think they did it. He scored against the Patriots. Uh, he obviously has had a couple receiving touchdowns. Like, he's done things like that, but uh, I don't think I don't think there's any way you can rely on him as other than anything other than like a bye week. Oh no. Um, oh no, two people just went, like, Yep. My wife has Saquon Barkley. She's got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and then she had Damian Harris this week. And so it was like you got two guys that are on the IR, and then Harris goes down with an injury. What the hell are you going to do? Like if you're in that kind of a situation, sure, go start Ty Johnson because what else are you going to do? But I wouldn't exactly use him for a roster spot or anything like that. Yeah, break glass in case of emergency sort of player for exactly, sure. Yeah. Uh, week 11, matchup with the Dolphins. What are your early expectations for that game? Oh, man, you know, it's a tough one because obviously you've got a quarterback now who is probably still not going to be 100% and hasn't played football in three weeks against a defense that just had their way with Lamar Jackson. And I know that the, the Ravens were coming off of a uh, – the Ravens were coming off a Monday night game on a short week, and that probably led to some fatigue in the legs and, and, and contributed some, to some of their struggles that night. But um, I don't – I, I – it's tough. I mean, I think if you're going to stick with anyone, you're just going to stay. Honestly, the only Jet that I would probably end up thinking about from a fantasy perspective with this one would be Carter. And just if you got to keep him in your lineup, you keep him in your lineup because I could see this one getting away. He's going to get his touches on the ground. I think he's going to – you want to hope and think and believe he's still going to get those receptions with Zach Wilson in there because Zach Wilson saw how the, saw how the offense worked when Mike White and Josh Johnson ran it. So – uh, it's a tough one, though. It's a tough thing to get a read on this team because you know it's it's you look at it and you're like, man, their their offense is flashed at times, but now you've got a defense that's that's allowed fifty, what was it, fifty four, thirty one, forty five, forty five, and almost nineteen hundred yards in the last four games. I mean, the Jets are reaching historic lows on the defensive side of the ball, so. Uh, I, I, if you're asking just from a win-loss perspective, I find it hard to see the Jets winning this game. I mean, they, they've certainly got a better chance this week than I think they did against the Colts or against the uh, the Bills. But still, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough one. It really is, in my opinion. And I don't necessarily see how they win this one. And, and more than anything, and this is probably the first time anyone has had to say this all year. I don't know how you're gonna stop Tua. Like that's probably the first <laughs> time anyone's had to say that about the Dolphins. So. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, I just get your Dolphin offensive players in the lineup there because uh, the Jets haven't proven they can stop anyone on the ground, through the air, anything like that. So just load up on that. 
I can't vouch for that across the entire fantasy industry, but I feel like I can safely say it's the first time we've heard, I don't know how you're going to stop Tua on the Athletic Fantasy (laughs) Football Podcast. So I think that's really the perfect spot uh, to wrap this one up. That's Connor Hughes, uh, New York Jets beat writer here at The Athletic. Get him on Twitter at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. And also, Jets fans, I'm sure you already know this. Can't wait. A great podcast. If somehow you don't know that, our Jets podcast with Connor and Tim McMaster and Marissa Morris. Go check that out. Can't wait. Great podcast here at The Athletic. Connor, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, moving right along here on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Next, we check in in Pittsburgh. Mark Caballi, Steelers beat writer here at The Athletic. Mark, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Alex, thanks for having me on this wonderful day. Yeah, it is a wonderful day for sure. Maybe not so much uh, in Pittsburgh coming off that tie, however, uh, against the Lions. Felt like a game that uh, Steelers could have definitely used with the uh, jumbled up AFC North and really the jumbled up AFC everything. Whether you win your division or competing for a wild card, that conference absolutely stacked one on top of the other. Could be one that the Steelers look back on and regret. Of course, maybe they end up winning that game if Ben Roethlisberger is able to play. Missed because he was on the COVID list week. 11 we know is in doubt can you give us any update on Roethlisberger as it stands for week 11 oh well he's still gonna have to take his two negative COVID tests he has not yet to do that as of Tuesday he'll take uh, one on Tuesday one on Wednesday and if he passes both of them no uh he has no symptoms then he'll be able to come back but he had some symptoms on Saturday is the reason why he he alerted the team of uh that that potential uh COVID uh, exposure, so he had some, I guess, some sore throat or, or some coughing and some tiredness, so you would assume he has, uh, you know, he had the symptoms as it is, so I think it might be tough right now, but as of right now, as we speak right now, we do not know, but I think it might be a long shot to be able for him to imagine that he can pass two COVID tests when he had symptoms no longer than a couple of days ago. If it is indeed Mason Rudolph again in this game against the Chargers, is there anything different we see from the Steelers? I mean, that was one where, you know, Mason Rudolph's obviously been in that building for a long time, but he gets thrown in 24 hours, not even, before uh, that game last week against the Lions. So is there something that you know maybe can be done in practice, something that can be altered in the offense that puts Rudolph in the offense maybe in a better position to then to score 16 points against a team like Detroit? Well, first, it would help if they get somebody back like Chase Claypool right, to give right. him another weapon. Number two, it would help if the coaching staff actually played to his strengths. You look how the Steelers had that four-game winning streak. Um, I know the teams weren't great, but the way they did it was they ran the ball more than they than they threw the ball, or at least equal to. That, fi- that game two weeks ago against the Bears, they finally rushed the ball more than they passed the t- ball. 
for the first time in like three or four years. They've uh, talked about all season long to getting that running game going, be a physical downhill running team. Then the time that you would think that they would need it the most with a backup quarterback without your one and two receivers in the game on a bad field against a bad team with a backup quarterback, they decide to throw the ball 50 times, including, I believe, 36 of the first 50 passes. Head scratcher here in Pittsburgh. Why they went down that road against a Lions team that I believe allowed, what, 250 against the Eagles the week prior or Mm -hmm. two weeks prior? Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of, I mean, what you're hearing in Pittsburgh right now is, you know, Mason Rudolph is not the future. And you're also hearing of why in the world did the coaching staff come up with this game plan didn't did not benefit him. It's not even the game plan. It's the play calling. Because you can have a scheme and a plan, but when you go in and decide to run the throw the ball when you're up seven nothing I believe, I believe they were up seven nothing, had the ball and first and goal with the five and they threw, threw, threw. Then you kick an extra point. I mean you kick a field goal and you end up losing by or tying or whatever it is. Why don't you run the ball in that situation? So that's the thing. You've got to go out to the Chargers, who can't stop the run either, and right. try to run the ball, even though you're probably without your two starting guards this week and Trey Turner and Kevin Dotson, who got injured in-game. You mentioned Chase Claypool. Getting him back would be a huge uh, boost for Mason Rudolph or for Ben Roethlisberger if that long shot comes through and he is indeed able to play in this game against the Chargers. Any update on where Chase Claypool stands this early in the week? As you said, we're recording this uh, Tuesday morning right now. Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard anything yet. Um, surely he'll be limited early in the week, as in Wednesday, to see where he what, where he is later in the week, Thursday or Friday. Then you have to you still have to take into account you're having a what four and a half hour flight across. The country, and I think, believe he had toe, his, his toe was bothering him. Who knows how that reacts? So you're going to have to pretty much see as the week goes on. He won't practice Wednesday. He'll probably be limited on Thursday. Then he'll probably give it a full go Friday and see where he's at right now. But they need him back because you're looking. I mean, without Juju there and James Washington, just I mean, it's it's crazy to think why he can't have some sort of relationship with Mason Rudolph considering what they did in college for a handful of seasons, but it's just not there. And you're leaving yourself to Ray Ray McLeod of having career numbers within the first quarter the other day. And you're not going to win many games by having Ray Ray McLeod having career numbers six minutes into a game. Uh, let's talk about that running back uh, situation for a second. Not really running back situation. Najee Harris obviously dominating everything that the Steelers do out of the backfield. It's just been an immense workload for Najee really all season, but we can even highlight just the last five weeks where he's had a, a minimum of 22 carries in the last five games, a minimum of 25 touches in those five games. He's playing 80 plus percent of the snaps in those games. You know, obviously, it seems like all system, systems go from the outside. Is there any private concern about his workload and it, what it looks like for the rest of the season? I really don't think so. I mean, you look at the past game and you're probably thinking he should have touched the ball another 10 times and they would have won the game. I mean, the guy's in, in fabulous shape. If you see him up close, his quads are a size of tree trunks. I mean, this guy is a massively put together human being. So, um, and you think about it, I mean, this is probably how you do want to treat your first round running backs, man. I mean, they don't make it much to that second contract. And if they do, they're probably not worth much. And we've seen that year after year after year. So if you're going to, you know, infamously said by Mike Tomlin about a decade ago, run the wheels off of a guy like Willie Parker, he's going to run the wheels off of a guy like Najee Harris. And there's not much, I mean, you'll get a handful of uh, snaps, but from, you know, Benny Snell, or Kalen Balage, but nothing to take off any of the workload. But, I mean, right now that is your weapon. So mm-hmm. if you're going to overuse him, this would be the time to overuse him when you don't have some of your skill players there. So I don't see those numbers going down at all. I mean, there's no indication that they're even interested in playing Balage now or even bringing up Anthony McFarlane and have him have them touch the ball more than one or two times a game. 
Certainly the most bankable guy in this Pittsburgh offense right now. And if you were ever going to maybe dial it back just to give him a breather here, a breather there, it's probably not in a game against the Chargers, a very important game, as we said in the AFC standings, the AFC wildcard race, and as you said a little earlier, a very bad Chargers run defense. What are your early expectations for this big Week 11 matchup? Well, it's going to be, first of all, depends who's available. I mean, you're looking about a, like a dozen players that could be out for the Steelers, including some big-time names on both sides of the ball. I mean, we're talking Minka Fitzpatrick will be out. Who knows if T.J. Watt is going to be able to play, um, plus a couple offensive linemen. You're not, all of a sudden, your offensive line that was playing decent, you might have to take your two starting guards out and replace them with J.C. Hassenauer and Joe Haig. And you're probably like, what? Uh, so that, it's going to be depends who's available to him, if Claypool's back as well. But you would think that the best-case scenario is just to come out. I mean, you think about it. The last two times they went to San Diego slash Los Angeles were night games where the Steelers had backup quarterbacks. 2015, Michael Vick won the game for him. Two years ago, Duck Hodges won the game for him, and you got to probably play it like the Duck Hodges way to two years ago. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, make a play or two from Rudolph and hope the defense plays better than it did against the run that they did against the Lions because they were pretty much shredded right there. But I don't think you put the ball in Mason Rudolph's hands. I think you have to stay with Najee and um, or Najee or, or he'll correct you. Uh, and uh, see if it worked that way. But it's going to have to be one of those low-scoring games for the Steelers to have. I mean, you don't even know what the Chargers have. They look like world beaters one week, and they look like garbage the next week. So, I mean, that's the as you said earlier, that's like the AFC in general. You can say that about all 12 teams that have the five wins. They're they're either great or they look – the best team in the AFC might be the Titans, but they probably have more flaws than anybody on offense right now. Yeah, it's a very, very strange conference in, in contrast to the extremely top-heavy NFC where we could say maybe the three or four best teams reside. It's just going to be an interesting stretch run here in the NFL and uh, one of the more interesting teams for this week considering all those injury questions that you point out on both sides of the ball. Uh, the Steelers will be watching it. We know that you'll be all over it for us. That's Mark Cabali, Steelers beat writer at The Athletic. Get him on Twitter at Mark Cabali. Mark, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. We appreciate it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, one more beat writer to get to on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. And to do this, we go out west to the Los Angeles Chargers. Daniel Popper, our Chargers beat writer at the Athletic. Daniel, what's going on, man? Not too much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as I was uh, just telling you before um, before we got going here, you are the first uh, two-time beat writer guest on this uh, on this uh, little uh, voyage that we've been on this season every Tuesday. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the uh, the extra 10, 12 minutes that we've asked on top of every other beat writer. Greatly appreciate it, especially with everything that's going on with this Chargers team. Let's just start right at the top. Justin Herbert, another bad game for him in Week 10. Another surprisingly inefficient game for him in Week 10. 195 yards, 5.7 yards per attempt. One touchdown, one interception. Last four games, he's at 6.6 yards per attempt, six TDs, and four picks. I guess... Put most simply, what's going on with Justin Herbert right now? Yeah, I think it's a larger offensive issue. I don't think you can pin it all on Justin Herbert because you go back and you watch these games. They've obviously lost three out of four. Going back to that Ravens game in week six before the bye, they lose to the Patriots and obviously lost to the Vikings. And there's some common threads throughout. And just in terms of the inconsistencies offensively, 
Um, they're just not sustaining drives. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Justin Herbert is playing well. He's certainly missing some throws. Obviously, the, the pick in the Vikings game falls on him. Uh, an excellent play from Eric Kendricks um, dropping to the middle of the field and, and jumping in front of that Keenan Allen route. Um, you know, Justin Herbert is, is not making his usual decisions. He's missing throws. Um, but it extends beyond that. You're having a ton of drops from all players in this team. Um, not just guys lower on the depth chart. You know, you're having drops from Mike Williams. He had a touchdown that Vikings game that he dropped. You're having drops from Austin Eckler, who usually has fantastic hands. You're having drops from Keenan Allen, whose hands have been <laughs> maybe his most reliable, reliable attribute throughout mm-hmm. his career. Um, Jared Cook dropping balls. Um, and then you're just you're seeing some of these protection issues jump out. Um, you know, the Chargers overhauled their offensive line this offseason and on paper it looked like a really good group but they were one or two injuries away from getting exposed there in terms of their depth and that's exactly what happened they lost Brian Bulaga in week one Storm Norton has come in and struggled there at right tackle at various points uh, and they lost Ode Abushi, which was a massive loss for this offensive line you know Ode Abushi isn't an all pro level player but he brings a certain demeanor a certain reliability to that right guard spot and they went out in the street and they signed Michael Schofield and he's been playing there at right guard and so you, you compile that all together and and you have different issues stalling drives at different points. And, you know, football is a funny game. You have one key drop in a key moment and that can derail an entire drive. You have one protection issue in a key moment and that can derail an entire drive. You have one missed throw or bad decision from Justin Herbert and that can derail a drive. And all of a sudden you have three drives that end in three and outs. And that's how you end up with an inefficient offense overall. The, 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 the positive here is that there are moments, right? You see the efficiency. You see what they were doing earlier in the season. I mean, they came out in that second half against the Vikings and drove 10 plays, 75 yards on 10 plays. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like. They're getting Justin Herbert on the move. Uh, they're hitting the tight ends in the flat. They're driving the ball downfield off play action. They're, they're, they're you know running the ball relatively efficiently. And you're like, okay, they can do this, but it's a consistency thing. And, and you know, just talking to the players over the last couple days, you know, they point to, okay, you know, this is a new scheme with Joe Lombardi. We have a ton of new pieces offensively. Obviously, we talked about the offensive line and Jared Cook coming in as free agents. And it's they believe it's going to take some time to develop that continuity, especially with the injuries they've suffered. So that's really, you know, what the players are diagnosing as the issue here. The things you mentioned there, a few of them feel addressable, right? Justin Herbert making some cleaner decisions, that can be addressed. Players, uh, receivers, pass catchers uh, cleaning up the drops, that can be addressed. The protection issues, are those sort of are what they are? Do they have to just adapt to what they have right now for the rest of the season? Yeah, that is that is what it is because Ode Ibushi tore his ACL. He's out for the season. Um, they have Michael Schofield in there. You know, They drafted Brendan Hymas in the fifth round, but the organization seems pretty dead set on sort of making sure he's ready before they put him into any game action. You know, he started playing some special teams after being inactive in a number of games, but it, it seems like right now they're going to roll with Michael Schofield. And then Bulaga had core muscle surgery. He's starting to work out on the field, but I, I'm not convinced that he's going to be back this season. So, you know, the narrative around the Chargers right now is, okay, Joe Lombardi is ruining Justin Herbert. He's not throwing the ball downfield. The one thing that people don't mention when they say all of this stuff is, is how much of a factor protection is in driving the ball downfield. And the way to mitigate protection issues is quick game, is a lot of bootlegs, a lot of short throws. You know, if you want to drive the ball downfield, you have to call those plays in very specific situations with very specific schematics involved to prevent negative plays and sacks. And that's max protection. And that's calling them off a of play action. You can't drop Justin Herbert back on five and seven step drops, play after play after play after play when you have protection issues. So the way they're going to mitigate it is try and find these explosive passes in different situations off the quick game, off run and catch situations. Because, I mean, we saw it in this game. No one likes to bring up the fact that on the second play of the game, they called a shot play. Mike Williams was wide open on a post. They ran a little uh, play-action bootleg with Herbert dropping deep, which is something they've been doing when they wanted to push the ball down the field since these offensive line injuries. And what happens? Eric Kendricks reads the play perfectly. He's in man coverage, drops off his man, blitzes, sacks Herbert for a 10-yard loss, and all of a sudden they're backed up and they have to punt on the drive. And so that's the negative of trying to call these shot plays is you could end up with significant negative plays if you end up with a sack. So that so moving forward, it is what it is. They're going to have to deal with this offensive line and some of these protection issues on the right side, and they're going to try and mitigate it with a lot of short passing, a lot of quick game, a lot of play action, a lot of boots, and then hopefully they can get this running game going in some capacity to keep those fronts off balance. 
From the standpoint of fantasy action ability, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, they are who they are, and they've mostly been delivering really throughout the season. Mike Williams at the very start of the season was looking like he was ascending to a new fantasy plane uh, with the, just these back-to-back-to-back monster games really through the first five weeks of the season. Things have tapered off for him over the most recent four weeks. He's been dealing with an injury of his own, of course, mixed in here. And then some of these issues that you're describing for the entire offense seem like if you're going to pick out one guy in the offense, not named Justin Herbert, who they would most affect, Mike Williams would be that guy. So is that really what's going on here? Is he just, is his personal production succumbing to some of the same issues that are plaguing the entire offense? Yeah, I think overall fewer opportunities, right? When drives are stalling, you're not extending that these drives, you're not having more plays. Those are fewer opportunities. Um, you know, I can't overlook this knee issue. And I know Brandon Staley said yesterday that it's a non-factor. Um, but you look at his production before he had the knee injury and after the knee injury, and it's hard to look at that and say, okay, that's a coincidence, right? I mean, he had the the best game of his career against the Browns, 16 targets in that game. And then all of a sudden, over the next four games, right, he's a complete non-factor. Um, so, you know, and, and this is a knee problem he's had before. You know, it was the same knee that he injured in 2019. It wasn't a specific play in the Browns game. He started just feeling some swelling in that knee. After that Browns game and, and, you know, the coaching staff has admitted that, yeah, it was an issue going in the Ravens game, but it hasn't been an issue since. But it's hard to overlook that when you're assessing Mike Williams. And then they've tried to get him the ball. You know, I mentioned that deep shot play, right? Um, that He's wide open on that play, but the protection doesn't hold up. He had one-on-one coverage in the Ravens game down the field. Herbert threw it to him, didn't put enough air on it, didn't really give Mike Williams a chance to make a play. He's drawing some pass interference penalties. I know that doesn't matter <laughs> in the fantasy world, but in the football world, that's per- that's productivity, right? When you're drawing a 20-yard pass interference, and then he's dropping some balls as well. I mean, you know, that's a touchdown. That slant pass that they threw at the goal line late in that game was a touchdown that he dropped. So I, I think it's a little bit of target share. I think it's a little bit of opportunity. I think it's a little bit of injury. Um, it's all of those things together. Um, and I think, you know, I'll add this about Mike Williams. Um Really talented player, but we have a pretty decent sample size on who he is as a player. Um, I think it was sort of uh, a meteor through the sky, a little comet over those first five games of like, okay, this is probably way better than he can produce over the length of a season because he's always had these injury issues, right? Um, And so this over the last few games is probably closer to who he is as a player. It's who he has been as a player throughout his career, which is, you know, moments of brilliance, but not sustained productivity. Let's take a look ahead to the upcoming game in week 11. Just before you on this very episode, we had Mark Cabali, our Steelers beat writer. You guys are going to be in the building together when the Steelers and Chargers get together for this week 11 matchup. From the Chargers perspective, what are your early expectations for this one? Yeah, the, the one common thread through a lot of these poor offensive performances is just going up against really good established defensive coaches. And I know the Ravens defense isn't particularly good this year, but Wink Martindale has been doing this a long time. And they struggled in that game with some of his disguises, particularly on third and longs. They go up against Bill Belichick, who we all know is perhaps the greatest defensive coach of all time. And they show inconsistencies in that game when, when the Patriots play you know, a lot of two deep zone, which is not something they typically do. It's a lot of man coverage, and that confuses Justin Herbert. And that leads to some inefficiencies offensively. And then you go up against Mike Zimmer, who Brandon Staley himself called perhaps the best third down defensive engineer in the history of football. And what happens? They get beat on a couple blitzes on third downs. Um, and they struggle to find efficiency offensively against a really good defensive coach. Well, it doesn't stop. It's a gauntlet in the NFL, and here they go against Mike Tomlin and a Steelers defense that has been good for my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, at some point, you're going to have to figure out these offensive issues against a good defensive coach. You're going to have to show up as a coaching staff, and, and, you know, a lot of the coaches have been talking about execution, execution, execution. The players have been talking about execution, execution, execution. But at some point, if the execution isn't happening week after week after week after week, the coaching staff has to look themselves in the mirror and be like, okay, how do we get these guys to execute better? Because something isn't translating here. Um, so that's really what I'm watching. Can this Chargers offense figure it out against the legitimate defense? Because as we all know, the Eagles defense right now is not a legitimate defense. I mean, if you even have a capable quarterback out there, they're going to th- complete 80% of their passes and dink and, and, and dunk a dime it down the field and and be really efficient in that capacity. So that's really what I'm looking at. And then defensively, um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger doesn't really scare you in the, in the passing game. He's one of the only quarterbacks in the league who has an air yards per attempt 
lower than Justin Herbert. Um, so it's a lot of short stuff. Um, but the running game has been a lot, or the, the run defense has been a lot better since the bye week. They've seen, they've shown some improvements in that area. Um, obviously, Najee Harris is on their radar, but it seems like they fixed those issues. So I, I think the biggest matchup here is, okay, can the Chargers figure it out offensively against Mike Tomlin and, and this Steelers defense? Something those of us in the fantasy world would definitely welcome seeing Justin Herbert back on track. It makes for a much more fun offense and a much more fun fantasy experience when all these guys in L.A. are going. That's Daniel Popper, L.A. Chargers beat writer for us at The Athletic. You can get him on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. Daniel, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thanks for having me. All right, let's wrap up this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast by opening up the TA Fantasy Sports Mailbag. Future reminder, if you ever want to get in on this in uh, future episodes, you can just email us at tafantasysports at gmail.com. Also, we usually put out a couple of tweets relating to this, so you can respond to that tweet. Also, be sure you're following us at The Athletic FS to uh, see those tweets. Joining me to open up the mailbag, read through some of the mail, and answer the questions is Brandon Funston. Funston, it's good. we got some good questions in here today, man. We got some, uh, All we got right. some fun ones. Yeah. It's always better than bad questions. I, oh, I so much, much prefer better. good questions. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. So much better than bad questions. We've got some strategy <laughs> questions. We've got some waiver questions. So it's, it's a good time to be us right now as we open up these pieces of mail. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. You ready? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. First question comes to us uh, in the uh, email. Actually, all of the questions we've got today come from our email inbox. This one is from Chris B. Chris B says, I am eight and two. I am definitely making the playoffs in my league and can afford to trade away some depth that I've accumulated to take a swing at a star who is you know either down or injured right now. So who would you target, keeping that in mind? Maybe take a shot on someone who isn't playing right now or has been really underperforming but maybe could be a big piece in the playoffs. Oh, man. Well, you know what? I think uh, if you're taking a big shot, why not Nick Chubb or um, mm-hmm. you know that Cleveland backfield or Saquon Barkley? I think he was close to coming back yeah. before the bye. Gets a ba- he, you know, he's coming back off the bye. He should be... Uh, you know, very much ready to go. I, I look at those two, the running backs, you know, Nick Chubb and, and Saquon Barkley, two of the better schedules down the stretch that you can ask for, and you're not paying peak value for them right now. So I think if you're taking a big swing, uh, you might consider that. And I would certainly prefer Nick Chubb if, you know, you're making the deal and all things are equal as, in terms of what you have to give up. But I think that would that would constitute a big swing. Yeah, we're basically on the same page here. I would think that it might be harder to pry away Saquon or Chubb just because it looks like they'll be able to play this week. Certainly, we expect Nick Chubb to be back out there for the Browns against the Lions. But uh, I think maybe Kareem Hunt. You said that whole Cleveland backfield. Kareem Hunt could be a really good one to go after because he might miss another game here. And so if you're talking about a Kareem Hunt manager who is maybe, you know, four and six at needs to get a little bit fortunate to make the playoffs or needs to can't you know afford to have even though they know that Kareem Hunt could be great in week 13 and 14 it maybe doesn't matter for them if they lose a couple more games and Kareem Hunt is unable to contribute in those games so that's someone who I would definitely take a look at also I think that Cleveland backfield definitely uh, where we would be focusing our efforts here especially if Chubb can't go another game and his manager is uh, is dealing with some uh, opposite of the standings uh, situations that you are crispy but uh, those are some guys definitely to take a look at uh, not, not a lot of the, you know if this were if we had this question a couple of weeks ago we maybe would have had some other guys in the discussion here maybe Christian McCaffrey could have even been in the discussion but we started to see that sort of player level out here and we're getting a lot of these guys back so maybe not quite the motivation for their managers to trade them away as there would have been two weeks ago but still someone who you can go after certainly Chris Uh, next question actually comes from one of those uh, four and six people this is from Sal M Funston Sal is four and six he says probably need to get a bit lucky to make the playoffs my league's trade deadline is this week so who's someone that I can uh, take a chance on I guess that's uh, you know someone who you know, it's pretty it, open-ended. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty pretty open-ended, certainly, uh, from Sal there. But uh, let's let's just say, I guess, let, let's tackle it like this, Funston. In a league where you're four and six right now, what are you trying to do? If you're you're four and six, you feel like you got to go four and zero oh to make the playoffs. What are you trying to do right now to make that more realistic than it is with your current roster that got you to four and six? Yeah, I think it's trading. Uh, you know, it's trading. He mentions the trade deadline this week, and I imagine like. You know, you basically have to say, I need to make the best active roster possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my depth is my depth be damned. If you've been hanging on to guys, it's time to, you know, it's that 
it's time to just consolidate as much as possible for the biggest strength that you can put out there uh, for this week and then just take that tact each each week. So it's again, this is an open ended question. If you're asking me trade targets, um, David Montgomery is an interesting one. You know, he came back after a long layoff. Khalil Herbert looked good, but he got plugged back in, and Khalil Herbert was very clearly not a platoon mm-hmm. role running back. He was straight up backup. Like another guy with a great schedule going forward that maybe you don't have to pay top dollar for, but you know, and you know, maybe somebody attainable. And um, you know, Daryl Henderson has a buy this week. I was going to throw him out there as well. Come, I love those five for thirty-one games where your team just gets blown out. And you know, some some people that have Daryl Henderson are like, oh, he gave me nothing, and they kind of have this down feeling about him. Yep. But it was it was complete game narrative. You know, DK Metcalf, someone like that as well, where you know, and you could you could buy into Russell Wilson having like this finger injury, but that, that could turn around pretty quickly. It could be mm-hmm. it could be a week or two. So I, I guess you're just. You're looking for big plays where, you know, it's not that dissimilar to the last last guy, Chris, in like, you know, um, you know, I, I you don't go after a cream hunt because he's still injured right now. But these guys that maybe had come off an injury or dealing with someone who had an injury and their their value was down a little bit might be the guys that you make a play for here. Yeah, you know, something else that comes to my mind, if you're four and six, again, you don't necessarily care what someone can do for you in week 14 if you lose in week 11 and that knocks you out of playoff contention. Maybe think about trading some of those Rams. Maybe think about dangling Matthew Stafford or Cooper Cup out there yeah. to people who are on the opposite side of this, who people who are eight and two or nine and one and feeling great for the playoffs and see what you can get back, see what you can make that week eleven roster look like. Right? It doesn't matter. Uh, Cooper Cup could have a uh, you know a nine catch, one hundred seventy three yard, three touchdown game in week fifteen. But if your team doesn't make the playoffs to take advantage of it. You don't really care. So that's something I would think about also if I was sitting in a position like four and six, three and seven needed to, and felt like I needed to take one big shot to hopefully win every game that I've got left and make the playoffs. That's something I would definitely take a look at. Funston, our next question comes to us from uh, Dara M. Dara asking, uh, I need a defense to stream in week 11. Who you got, Funston? Top defenses to stream in week 11. Well, I think you could argue Carolina is one of the top – Four to five defenses in the league in general. They are 31% rostered in Yahoo leagues, and they play Washington at home. I like that one an awful lot. I also like the Chargers at home against a potential Mason Rudolph-led Pittsburgh Steelers. But if Ben Roethlisberger's back, I'm definitely giving a heavy favorite to the Panthers' lean there. It's uh, exactly where I was headed with this one, too, Funston. Love that Carolina spot at home against Washington, a Washington team that, you know, if you just look at what they did, 29 points against Tampa, maybe it, it seems sort of impressive last week. Uh, they got two possessions early in the game off of Tom Brady interceptions that set them up in Tampa territory. They got 10 points off of that. And they just sort of rode Antonio Gibson and wore down that Tampa defense that spent a ton of time on the field in the second half. That was nowhere near as impressive an offensive performance as it might seem if you just look at the the final score there. 320 yards from scrimmage Tampa or Washington had in that game. 4.4 yards per play. That is still a bad offense that's in a lot of trouble. Going to be in a very tough spot at Carolina. That is definitely the first one that I am taking a look at. I think the Chargers are a decent one as well. If Carolina is unavailable to you, maybe Miami at the Jets, just because of what the Jets offense is week in and week out. Those are certainly some options that you've got all less than 40% rostered on Yahoo leagues, but Carolina, the very first one absolutely should be at the top of everyone's shopping list this week. Two more questions, Funston. Let's get through them here. Victor M says, putting in claims for both Ramondre Stevenson and Wayne Gallman, both available in my league. Which one would you prioritize? Oh, absolutely, Ramondre Stevenson. Um, look, if Wayne Gallman just full-on takes over that backfield and, and pushes Mike Davis to the curb and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to play around with splitting that that timeshare there, um, I still think Ramondre Stevenson, even backing up Damian Harris, could come close to equaling Wayne Gallman's value. Um and we don't know how long Cordell Patterson's out. I'm assuming this is not a long-term injury. And we know that he's the straw that stirs that drink in that offense. And, you know, Mike Davis had a hard time getting noticed when Patterson was there. So um, so that could revert back to that pretty quickly. To me, it's Ramondre Stevenson because I think he's serviceable, even if Damian Harris is health- healthy. And we know that he can be, you know, a borderline RB1 when Damian Harris is not. And last week he was more than a borderline RB1. Yes. So um, I just like the upside of Ramondre Stevenson in that offense. 
Same exact answer here. We are in full agreement, Victor. I think Coleman's worth putting a claim in on, but if I am prioritizing them, if I'm ranking them, Ramondre Stevenson definitely gets priority there. Last question, this one coming to us from John C. Best pure buy low candidate right now, Funston. I'll go first on this one. Give me Allen Robinson for this. Like, Justin Fields has looked very good over the last game and a half, or maybe he's put together uh, some really impressive drives over the last game and a half for the Bears. Now the Bears are coming out of their bye, uh, so maybe they were able to go into the lab and and do some new things, but clearly there is a newfound swagger and a newfound confidence to Justin Fields, and I think that's just going to trickle down to the entire Chicago offense. Allen Robinson, it's been just a dreadful, dreadful season, but that makes him, that's why he's a pure buy-low candidate, because he actually should be gettable. That's something we always got to think about. Not just a guy who is down, but a guy who is down and his manager would be willing to trade away. Allen Robinson definitely checks that box. And I think there is still something here if the Chicago offense takes what it's done over the last game and a half and spins that forward into the last seven games of the season. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Uh, I think I'll throw out another receiver, similar ilk, uh, coming off of the bye in Sterling Shepard. You know, I think Kadarius Toney had two smash games, and I think on the on the open market, Kadarius Toney's name carries more weight than Sterling Shepard. But uh, Shepard coming out of the bye, if he's healthy and ready to go, uh, we've seen him when he's in there. Daniel Jones kind of has a magnet for him, and. I like the schedule for the Giants. I like to set up for the Giants. They're typically going to be, you know, you're imagining narratives where they're going to be playing from behind and, and playing, you know, throwing the ball plenty. But we kind of have seen all things, you know, all when all the all those guys are out there, Sterling Shepard's kind of been the go-to guy there. So I don't think it costs a whole lot to get him. Uh, if he can maintain his health, I think he can be a steady contributor for you and you can get him for probably a song right now. Yeah, it's really someone who uh, has been such a steady contributor, as you said, for the Giants and really the go-to guy for Daniel Jones. So I like that as well, a guy who is certainly gettable, if he's even still on a roster, but definitely uh, gettable right now on the open market. Allen Robinson and Sterling Shepard, a couple of receivers to take a look at if you are indeed looking for those pure buy-low candidates. And no matter when your trade deadline is, if it hasn't already passed, I know it's coming soon. So take advantage of that still being open. Make those last moves you can make to strengthen your roster for the stretch run and ultimately the fantasy football playoffs that's going to do it for this episode of the athletic fantasy football podcast for our beat writers who joined us today daniel popper mark Cabali, and connor hughes also for brandon funston i am michael beller thanks to all of you for being with us on this episode good luck with all of your waiver claims good luck in your trade discussions good luck with everything you've got going in fantasy football leading up to week 11 we'll talk to you soon see you 